0: This is a production from The Companion. Sci-fi served fresh.
1: Welcome to my interview with an actor I have become great friends with since we started working together on Travelers, which you should check out if you haven't seen it yet on Netflix. From The Companion, this is my conversation in sci-fi with my only friend who has an actual star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, the incredibly talented... Eric McCormack
0: a quick note before we begin if you're a big sci-fi fan you're going to want to listen to the full conversation for members only trust me and it has never been an easier time to join help yourself to a free trial and if you like it become a member you'll be helping out me and our small team deliver these fun interviews and amazing stories all ad-free and sponsorship free thank you so much
2: hey, Eric how you doing my old friend, I am fantastic. How's it with Actually,
0: you?
1: Uh, not much. Well, literally hmm. zero, to be honest. I, uh, it's one of the reasons to, to start a podcast is because uh, there's, so, there's so little. You know what I mean? In fact, I think everybody will eventually have their own podcast, and we'll all just interview each other. I think that'll be. Uh,
2: well, not only that, we'll, we'll all have so little to do. We'll be, all we'll have to do is sit around. And listen to each other's podcast. And all we'll talk about in the podcast is that we have nothing to do. And all we do is sit around and listen to podcasts. Whoa, that's actually almost deep. That's heavy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> not really it's not really
1: it's, it's like, like what he said. there's an episode in there no not really people say nah. that all the time to me people say no oh that that would be a great episode on your show and I go no it was just a funny thing he said it's not
2: yeah. that is or what the episode. opposite <laughs> or the opposite you on twitter yesterday somebody said that would be a great episode and you said yeah it was, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. that, was that was season two how episode would, six what are you talking about
1: how would the director deal with a pandemic um, no. we literally shot that it's uh... yeah well <laughs> i yesterday i was
2: I, I was talking to somebody yesterday who said when is there going to be a season three and i said there is a season three and he went <laughs> oh oh great so it's uh, sometimes you know be careful what you're complaining about when is there going to be a season four is uh, oh well,
0: is that's is, what is we lovely. have to complain about
1: it's a lovely question and and i and i we're talking about travelers We're talking about uh, travelers. Where Eric and I uh, most recently worked together uh, and had such a wonderful time. We would love to continue it. And the fans would have loved a season four. And we would have loved to have given them a season four. But alas, Netflix.
2: God bless Twitter because we can communicate with our fans in ways that I couldn't have done 20 years ago on on Will & Grace. But just that constant question why isn't there a season four? And sometimes the question is phrased as, well, you guys are the, are the producers, make a season four. And of course, it's like, oh, God, I wish it were that easy. There would be into, 11 seasons by now.
1: It got into crowdfunding, a couple of questions about crowdfunding. And I don't think people really understand how much it costs to make a television show. Yeah. I mean, not with, notwithstanding massive acting fees, it just opening the front door, <laughs> just opening wow. the front door and getting a
2: Give that, Nesta Cooper. <laughs>
1: So expensive. (laughs) She is now. But, uh, (laughs) and worth every penny. It's just bloody expensive to make television properly. We weren't even an expensive show. I mean, we were not.
2: That's the the thing I like to brag about about our show, is, is that, is how you, as a very experienced showrunner, knew how to take not a lot and make it look like a lot. That show looks... Thanks to several people, but with you at the helm, it looks like a $10 million show, but it wasn't. But it still costs several million an episode to make. It still does. I would give you a
1: first draft of a script, and you'd go, Oh, this is really great. I love where the bus goes careening down there. And I go, Yeah, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't do anymore. It's sort <laughs> of just, it's, it's more parked now. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, and and, it's, so and it's not a
2: bus. It's not a bus. Yeah. It's a bike. It's, but, it's uh, sort of a
1: bicycle. Uh, but there's a lot of people, it's a multi-person bicycle. And that's how it's going to be. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. Yeah. And that actually <laughs> is a real thing that happened. I had a scene early in season one, a traveler who, who got hit by a train. And then and then that doesn't happen because he, he gets taken over. The traveler gets taken over. For those of you who don't know, a traveler is a person from the future, takes over a person in the 21st century uh, via consciousness only. So they take over the lives of people in present day. If you haven't seen the show, you should watch it. Eric's really good at it. But anyway. (laughs) If you haven't uh, seen the
2: show, most of this will make no sense (laughs) to you.
1: (laughs) Well, people are Will & Grace fans,
2: Eric. Yes. I suppose that's true. Um, But if if you're a Will & Grace fan listening to this, watch Travelers. I'm tremendously proud of it. And you should be. But we ended up doing that, Train Guy. You ended up directing it. We did. I did. That was, and I had done one episode. I, I directed the last episode of season two, which involved a lot of my favorite characters. What did we call them? The the loved ones, I guess, right? They're everybody's yeah, yeah, sort yeah. of wife or boyfriend or they're trapped in a room. And I thought, this is great. I can do this. Uh, and then the, the next season begins with a freaking train gag. I'm like, oh my god, how do I do this? But it was so exciting to to recognize how one mixes the green screen with the CGI with the actual stuff. And we had we were shooting on train tracks, There so it was it was amazing. Well, a section of train tracks. We a section of train tracks, actually. Yes. We, that we
1: built ourselves, and Steve Jackson <laughs> brilliantly. Used a dolly and three lights to create the train in the distance. It was really quite. That's yeah, was, our uh, I think.
2: I think the phrase in in filmmaking is a poor man's process, which is. Yeah, that's right. Is the is the idea that you're not going to just add this later on in post? You're not. You really are going to create the illusion of something. Like, like in the old cartoons, those things on the train tracks, the way where car- characters are going up and down, the little, yeah, yeah, yeah. little cart had one of those, or a dolly track, or a dolly cart with lights on it that just got closer and closer to the camera. It was amazing how effective it looked in the end. And then, of course, we did
1: spend a shit ton of money on a gigantic CG train, which looked great. Yeah. I thought it looked great. I thought, you know... Me too. That's every time you type it, uh, with a smaller budget, every time you type a big element that you know has to be CG, it's a little scary because if it, if, it, if you don't pull it off, the whole, it just pulls the audience right out completely. So true. I really on my
2: Canadianism. First of all, for for everyone listening, Brad and I are both in British Columbia, uh, which is where we shot the show, and it's so exciting to be here. I guess we would have finished. We would have been starting season one right about this time in two thousand sixteen. That's right. Yeah. So, you should, you should tell everybody, because I know you talked a lot about Stargate and stuff, but you should tell all uh, the Travelers fans listening how that got started and, and how you found your way to me. How I found my way to you? Well, I mean, that's a dividing eventually- rod. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it was a rod of some kind. But, uh, but no, because ha- I think how this sh- show got written is a, is a, is a cool story. How, yeah, you're right.
1: You- you're right. That's true. I, I actually pitched this show everywhere. In, in la and in canada before writing a pilot back in 2015 and when you're when you're trying to pitch a show that's that's got a bit of an esoteric sci-fi twist to it you you know it, it's you have to try to talk to people who are not sci-fi minded and try to sell it to them and make them think it's mainstream which ultimately the show ended up being i think more accessible than most sci-fi. And at least three times in LA, I thought I sold it in the room because people were like, wow, this is great. But then when they went to try to pitch it to their bosses, it, it, they, they couldn't do it. They, it, it just, they fell short and and, it, and nobody bought it. So I said, screw it. I'm going to write a spec pilot and make it clear. And so almost during, uh, almost finished the spec pilot stage, I'd written four pages to help describe the series. I'd written the pilot the Canadian Film Centre, founded by Norman Jewison in Toronto, called me up and asked if I would be a mentor, a screenwriter in residence, I think they called it, showrunner in residence. And would I take a pilot idea and develop it with a group of their young writers in their program? And the timing was perfect because I also got to choose the writers. So I ended up going to the CFC with a finished pilot, which just took me a few more weeks to write it, Reddit helped choose the writers. And, and there uh, we developed Travelers further. We spent like eight weeks or nine weeks. Each of them wrote a script uh, over that course. It was actually more than nine weeks. But, uh, and then I, I, my producing partner, Carrie Mudd, uh, who we produce Travelers with, uh, we, we all know and love Carrie. She made a, a contact with Netflix and said, let's go pitch it to them. And so she and I took the nine stories I had, not the scripts, because they, they would have needed major rewriting and did. And we went into Netflix and said, we developed a show. There's nine stories uh, and a pilot script that's pretty solid. What do you think? Most other networks, as you all know, would, would turn their nose up at that because they don't like stuff that developed. They want to be able to help do it themselves. But at the time, Netflix went, yeah, we love
2: this idea. Let's do it. Netflix Netflix was the one, I think starting with House of Cards, that kind of went, uh, you only have one season? Could we do three? I mean, they were they yeah, exactly. the ones encouraging that kind of long-range thinking, which... And I think it's interesting that your your program is called Showrunner in Residence, because for those who don't know, it's not a position in film or in, in on stage. It's strictly f- for shows. And it's one thing to write a pilot. It's one thing to be a writer. But the skill to run a show, to have the overview, to be able to speak to each department and be the dad, the dad of a lot of people, is separate. Mom. It's a separate skill. Or mom. Uh, absolutely. And, and Brad was both a great dad and a very tender mom <laughs> <laughs> to all yeah, of us. Yeah.
1: But I was but then, anyway, the so creepy like, Uncle, and I'm proud <clears throat> of that. But no, and then, so step two was, of course, the McLaren. Actually, it was Mackenzie in the original pilot, but then we hired somebody named Mackenzie, and so we changed the name to McLaren. But that was obviously the lead, and they said, who do you see? And I said, well, I... I kind of wrote the script with Eric McCormack in mind because you and I worked together on The Outer Limits back in 1962, I, want to I think it
2: was. <laughs> no, that was the original, never mind. No, yes. sorry. We, we developed the original in 1960. I want to say, based, based on my memory of coming to Vancouver, I want to say that it was about 90, either 93 or 96, one of those two. I think uh, it was 93. I think it, was it was 93. Narrow. It was
1: early, yeah. early Outer Limits and I was writing and producing that show and you and I got a chance to work together on, a, on an episode called Tempest, which was, I think, a great episode and a little ambitious. I mean, we did build a spaceship. It was. It was me and Bert Young, Bert Young. From, uh, from Rocky. Yeah. And a really great cast. And anyway, so I had worked with you and I knew you had chops. And I knew you were Canadian. And I wanted, as a proud Canadian, I wanted it to be a Canadian show. Or at least my rule is I look here first. Yeah, and yeah. I said, "What about Eric and Cormac? And they said, "That would be great." So, I was literally on a trip with my wife and her mother in Las Vegas, and and you said, "Well, why don't you come to L.A.?" And I and I hopped on a plane from Vegas to L.A. We had like coffee in your backyard, yes, and uh, <laughs> and we hit it off and remembered working together on the Outer Limits, and I was stunned. I, to, to be honest, I was I was stunned that you responded so positively to the pilot script, and it, it's a good indication of your character because your character doesn't show up in the first That's 20 right, a, minutes.
2: I think it was like page 35 or something, but it was... Yeah, uh, it,
1: well, it's a little deep, but it's definitely deep into the script before uh, your character shows up and you kept reading. So a lot of lead actors would go, uh, I'm not actually in this. So, uh, this well, the, is other key, the, uh,
2: the other key thing, for one thing I did remember... I was reading it to, with an eye to, uh, my first thought, and I'll, I'll be honest with all of the the sci-fi fans out there, it's not my first genre, it's not where I go. And so I thought, oh boy, here we go, page three, where does the spaceship land? And it wasn't that, it was something else. It was something, and I thought, this is all set now. When do we go into space? When do we go into some distant future? It read like an espionage piece, which is, to me, ultimately what it always was. We were spies. We just happened to be from 500 years from now. And I just thought that that was so smart, but it also allowed me to do what I do best and let, let Brad and everybody else take care of the sci-fi aspect of it. Because for me, it, was always, it always felt naturalistic. It didn't feel like we were doing something um, otherworldly.
1: Yeah, the one thing that we, we kind of decided early on, because we tried it in, in, in the second episode, and it immediately felt a little uh, uncomfortable when we got too sci-fi, like when it was more about the mission than about the characters.
0: Right. And you, know,
1: you have to do that, and it was definitely part built into the, the fabric of the show. But what we started doing is, is not worrying so much about the mechanics. Like we never showed the machine that did the thing. We just showed the machine and then did the thing.
2: At the same time, my, my wife is a huge sci-fi person, reading it, watching it, and, I mean, you cannot fool that woman. And so she was so excited I was doing this show, but when we finally started to air, or at least she could see the episodes, she'd finish one and go, uh, okay, yeah, but they have to answer this, and I would just keep my mouth shut because I knew that Brad had answered it in the next episode or the one after that. You, I think, were so attentive to the intelligence of a sci-fi audience, but still found a way to entertain a much more mainstream. It's also the privilege of Netflix, though. Because true. when you know you're going to do you shoot them all.
1: You know that question is going to be answered. You know that the audience won't demand of it this week, and they might not tune in next next week. I mean, they, right. they, they might not watch the next episode, it's true. But if you get into a pattern of eventually answering questions, the, the audience goes, oh, they'll get to it, or they'll answer that eventually, and, and begin a, a sort of bond of trust. I mean, there were questions that we, that we raised in season one that we didn't answer until season two. I mean, we knew the director was an AI, spoiler alert, um, from the beginning, <laughs> but I wanted to hold that information back. I wanted the audience to be going, well, who is this guy? That's ridiculous. He has way too much power. How could he? Oh, right. it's an AI. Ah, oh, now it all makes sense. Which I think is one of the reasons uh, our show gets rewatched
2: so much. That's true, and 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 also just I mean this whole idea of binging, which is something that's uh, obviously pretty new to all of us. But people, I, I still get it. That which makes me so happy. The travelers and and thanks to Netflix is still very much there whenever anybody wants to discover it. And whenever people discover it, at least according to the people on Twitter, they seem to discover it within about a day and a half. Like, I just I just watched all three episodes and I haven't slept. Yeah. And I yeah. think that that sort of, not all shows have that. Uh, you might want to binge them, but you eventually go to sleep. I, I think with this show, there's something about, you end every episode of this show, Brad, with an absolute, I wouldn't even necessarily call them a cliffhanger as much as they're just, something delicious that you was like, well, now I need to know more. You know, it, it's funny. It, it isn't a
1: cliffhanger. And it took me some time to figure out how to do it. And and Netflix, to their credit, they, they don't call it a cliffhanger either. They, they just say, it doesn't matter what it is. Give me that thing that yeah. makes them want to watch the next episode now. Because that is what makes Netflix different than a, every other network. A cliffhanger is a... Oh no, they're gonna! I have to watch next week, or I won't find out. Right. But something that is like even more like bait. My favorite one in the show is Trevor and Philip are sitting in uh, at Ops, and Trevor's eating a hamburger, and Philip has written future stuff all over the the door of of Ops, right. and he looks at the wall and he walks over, and we don't reveal what the wall is at all. And Philip goes, "What?" And Trevor goes, "I know this person." Actually, in a much more gravelly, cool voice than that. Sure. And, and <laughs> i don't and, know anyone 21. I speak like this. <laughs> I know it's so great. I know this person. Cut to black. Yeah. Which was a great motif too. But that was perfect. That makes you tune into the next episode, even though we didn't find out with the relevance of, the, relevance
2: of that for many yeah. episodes. Let's talk about, for a second now. So, so you got me. You had me at. I had Number to go. on the call sheet. Yes, you had me below, and and so I was really excited about that. You also had me at. I've seen some people already for these roles, these right. young roles, because I was coming in as grandpa. But <laughs> but you, I've seen all these people are all in their twenties, 20s, like twenties, 20s. Uh, and you started sending me everyone's audition tapes, and you'd already you'd already found them, and they were such a huge part. They're sort of as yet undiscovered untapped brilliance was a huge part of the show and and I got so excited to think that this was the team this was the traveler team we we
1: did we did luck out and I have to say part of that Maureen gets huge huge credit for
2: that yes Maureen our, our, Webb our casting director
1: yes brilliant she, she literally brought our cast into the room uh, for, you know and said one by one and said you know as, as you do in casting. Nick, our, our, Nick Horan, our pilot director, looked at each other over and over again and went, she's perfect, or he's perfect. And, of course, I, I didn't expect to get you, but I did write McLaren with your voice in my head, hopefully. I didn't, I didn't think I'd be able to get you, but thank God you responded. I did write David for Patrick Gilmore, no, yes, no question. I mean, I just yes. wrote it for him, period.
2: Fan, I would have to say, if, if anything defines fan-favorite, It's Patrick. Well, people love him. Yeah, I mean, uh, and and cast paper, we adored him.
1: Yeah, he's he's wonderful. Hard character to 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 keep a lot fresh, (laughs) alive too. Obviously, Uh, we kept killing him. But Mackenzie Porter, we we literally cast her off her self tape. We, We made an offer off her self tape. I've never done that before because she, she was so obviously Marcy. And we naturally, we decided to do this uh, casting process during pilot season. So it's very difficult to be doing a relatively small Canadian show. And you weren't officially attached yet, so we couldn't use that as bait either. We couldn't even say, Eric Cormack's a star. And we got all these fabulous actors. And they were all damn nice
2: people too, not an asshole in the bunch. Yeah. That was our well, That was our rule, Brad. And I decided at, at, at that coffee in my yard, yeah. no assholes.
1: Well, we have a. a it, there's another way that uh, Richard D. Nash put it. It's uh, LTS. Life's too short well, yeah. because an asshole, not just a, anywhere in the crew, it, it's toxic and it, it's it wrecks everything,
0: yeah.
1: uh, and, and it's contagious. You know, one asshole can lead to two. Which is
2: uh, <laughs> and, there's a whole episode two, of something. That... That's, that's right. And two assholes. That's just a lot of shit. Yeah. So. <laughs> Yeah, so Mackenzie was, uh, there's no question Mackenzie was uh Marcy. Her chemistry with uh with Patrick off the bat was was amazing. And again, for those who haven't seen the show, but for, for those who have too, it's it's to me always the reason I can go back to it and I can watch it again is that as it, we're watching the show often through David's eyes, his discovery of this weird behavior in Marcy, and then eventually her weird friends, one of whom works for the FBI, and but the travelers discover we, as their their own behavior as they discover the stuff they've never had, whether it be a hamburger, or petting a dog, or all of the things, or tying that are a gone, tie. Or tying that a tie. Was that another was another thing you did. I love that. That's right. That was not in the script. I was. I mean, that my favorite thing. um, Leah Karen's, as my wife, was also brilliant casting. The idea that, as we all get the feeling once in a while that our spouse is acting weird today, why? You know, it could be that they're just in a bad mood, or it could be that they're from the future. And uh, the idea that I suddenly had to do things that I wasn't—I tra- was trained to do a lot of stuff five hundred years from now, but nobody ever told me how to tie a tie. And just there that weren't any seem- neckties. There were no neckties. And I'd like to think that eventually the necktie will disappear with, uh, with the coming <laughs> centuries, because it's just dumb. But the idea of me trying to do that with her staring at me in the, in the bathroom mirror, that to me is the fun stuff. People always say, what was the most fun thing of Travelers? And sometimes it was the big set pieces, like the scene at the barn at the end of season one is probably my favorite day. Of Directed by Amanda OT. Tapping
1: and, and- The great Amanda and, uh, Tapping.
2: I mean, that was, that was one day shoot. That whole that whole exchange, yeah, and and, and all the travelers together, and uh, all the stuff that mattered. But it was the little things. It was the little things uh, with Leah. It was the little things uh, with Arnold Pennock as my partner at the FBI. Those little moments where you go, "This guy's st- all, all of them. All five of the travelers are still kind of winging it because they know big stuff, but it's the little stuff that they still have to keep <laughs> catching up on." Well,
1: and, and the whole premise of the show really was was that it was born out of the idea of social media surviving deep into the future and people thinking people putting themselves out there in social media and it isn't really who they are you know what I mean it isn't it isn't well
2: that's that is true that was that was the central conceit of the show wasn't it is the idea that it was after suddenly it was after the internet it was after social media that suddenly all of this was possible
1: it had to be set at a time where you could go back to a time that could be precisely accurately calculated. You can't just, and we say Correct. this in episode 11, you can't go back and, and kill Hitler because, you know, who, who knows if that clock on the wall was accurate. And um, yes, you have to land at and, and the have to be right in, moment. Yeah. And time and place. But Marcy Marcy's uh, social media account was fake. It was made up by David. Right, which
2: was one of the more, more brilliant things. And, and one the, probably my favorite thing in the pilot was this concept that people were landing in the right body, but they didn't have all the information. And that's what made... Uh, Riley's character is so interesting with the heroin addiction, all that stuff was so... Yeah, his
1: parents different. never put in the funeral notice that that uh, he died from a, from a heroin overdose. Why would they? Right. Uh, if they were the kind of people who wouldn't do that. So the director made that mistake. And and McLaren's baggage, most of your baggage, was the fact that you had, were in a, a relationship that was well over 10 years old. Of course you were going to get discovered. I mean you know it's it, it, having been in long term marriages both of us if i if i got taken over by an alien i'm sure my wife would figure it out in a couple of months
2: <laughs> <laughs> slowly but surely wait a minute he's doing I, I, I laundry thought,
1: <laughs> well that is actually kind of one of the funnier things it yeah. one of the tells in after episode 6 of season 1 Uh, Season six or seven, episode six or seven, is that uh, Grant is better at sex than he was before. That's 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 how she tells.
2: That's how she knows. She tells her mother he's cheating. He's cheating because he didn't do that one before. Exactly. He he, he never gave me a number four and a number six at the same time. I don't even Uh, know what that means.
1: So, so I'm, you know, I was, I'm just glad that, you know, this has opened up a world for you because I know that, and this is this is a side note, uh, Eric and I grew up in Scarborough, Ontario, Canada together, about six or eight blocks away from each other, two years apart. I'm older, obviously. But, yes. but when, I was, when I was a kid, I dreamed, I, I read science fiction, I absorbed science fiction, it was my thing. And I, I dreamed of being an actor too. You never dreamed in a million years of being a science fiction actor. You wanted to be an actor, obviously, and good on you, but you never imagined doing this shit.
2: No, and when and when I, you know, I was I was very much theater and and I was five years in, in Shakespeare and other theaters across the country. Uh and when I first got into television, you didn't question what it was. It was a cop show, it was I was a lawyer. Uh and the episode of The Outer Limits was okay, I'm I'm this, literally a spaceman for this episode. But in general, I was not not a Star Trek guy. I was not even really a Star Wars guy. I know. I know. I have to be careful when I say that because people get very upset. But um, I was the what guy at fourteen. Do you at mean 14... it's one or
1: the other. You have to choose.
2: <laughs> you have to choose. I was the guy at fourteen when everybody else was going to see Star Wars for the eleventh time that summer. I was going back to see Annie Hall. So I was. That was. That was me. But the uh, somebody asked on the, because um, I, I let everybody know on Twitter that we're going to do this. And I said, any questions? And somebody wanted to ask about Free Enterprise, which is a movie I did in in 98. Right. And it was about Star Trek fans, like ultimate fans, two, but two of them best friends as adults, who meet uh, Bill Shatner. And... I, I don't know how I even got the part. I virtually had to learn most of the script phonetically because I had I had no idea. Oh, there's all these references to specific episodes that I just had never seen. And the two guys that made the movie were appalled, just appalled that I didn't know what the hell I was talking about. I,
1: I, I can quote uh, the original Star Trek series, probably chapter and verse, but... I thought, I just loved it. I just absolutely loved it. In fact, I would have killed to write on Star Trek. I would have loved to write. Well, not for the original series. I was six years old, but for Star Trek: The Next Generation with uh, mm-hmm. Patrick Stewart, I just I just loved that show. Now it doesn't really hold up. I mean, certainly not the earlier episodes. They weren't the first three seasons even weren't very good. But there's just something about the the positivity of the future, the outlook mm-hmm. of the future. That came with Star Trek, and I think that carries over to travelers. I mean, despite the fact that the future's horrific in travelers, there's still, I think, hope imbued in the, in the characters and in the show in general that that uh, it comes from that, I think, you know They're trying to do some something real and their faith, which is interesting because yeah. it's not religious faith, it's their faith in the director.
2: Which well, and, and particularly embodied, yeah, embodied by McLaren as the as the boss, who's is like the guy saying, "We are following orders here, and the orders are good, and the orders aren't to be questioned." And so that idea, by the end of season one, beginning of season two, that there's a whole faction of people questioning the director and acting on, on of, of their own accord, is. Is fascinating to me, and but but there's sort of what we, we used to refer to McLaren as a Boy Scout. Yes, so. probably Hall, uh, yeah. Louis Ferrara, who played Hall. Uh, I went for a walk. I, yes, I went for a walk uh, with him the other day. He's doing very well, but uh, he. I think he was the one that's that called McLaren a Boy Scout, and uh, yeah. and it was true. That's and it be, and it was that spirit, because I think that's Brad's spirit too, for those that are listening, Brad, is he put a lot of himself in David, but I think he also you he also put a lot of yourself in McLaren in the idea of of just believing and having having faith in your own plan and in your own heart.
1: I'm, I'm, I'm not really as nice as either of those characters, but I can type them, so it must be in there somewhere. <laughs> I had a question based on something that you were talking about, mm. and then he blew smoke up my ass and I got all the flutter. <laughs> Yeah, it was about it was about the future, and it was about about how I I, I love the the hope that comes with characters like uh, like Ted Lasso, you know. You've, have you seen Ted exactly, Lasso? Yeah. Oh,
2: it's one of my, it's my favorite thing of the year, probably. Oh my um, God,
1: it's just he he, you know, it's like shitty shitty things are happening, and he's still optimistic all the way to the end. And I it's there's just something to it that that I can't let go of and must write. And and, and that's why you know fans kept saying we want to see the future, we could, and that was actually one of the questions posed on Twitter, will we ever see the future? And people kept asking that, and, and we had
2: windows into it, like you pointed out. In Yeah, I think we, we did. The, the first, one thing I really loved in season one that I don't even know how much you warned me about, because I knew, I knew that the first sort of five, six episodes we're building to our big mission and that happened. It was probably our most sci-fi episode, I think was episode six where we were in nuclear facility and and all that, it felt very, very uh, action movie. And then we started the next episode, one of my favorite moments of reading one of the Traveler scripts, because it's one of my favorite moments as an actor in general on a series is that you might know a little, but you don't know a lot until the script arrives and you go, huh, what? I say, what? naked and, and and say everything's a surprise. <laughs> and episode seven was this kind of, what we call protocol five. It was like, uh, oh, I guess, what if that's our only mission? What if we're just stuck here in the past and our main job is just to play these roles for the rest of our lives? And uh, I just thought that was the most interesting thing to, most interesting left turn to take in in season one of of an otherwise very sci-fi show
0: what a great show i hope you enjoyed this free 30-minute version of brad's interview with eric members can enjoy the full one hour interview right now in our member section from the companion this is brad wright's podcast conversations in sci-fi if you want to listen to the full episode Listen to previous interviews, read hundreds of in depth articles from our writers and showrunners, like Brad, all on a weekly basis, then you can get all of that and more by becoming a member today. Just click the link below, and for a limited time, you can sign up to the companion with a one month free trial, and you'll get 50% off yearly memberships. Thanks for listening.
2: Hi there. This is Chief Master Sergeant Walter Harriman, your favorite gatekeeper. Have you ever wondered what it takes to become a certified Stargate technician? Well, now you can find out, because I'm going to share my knowledge and experience with a select group of aspiring and enthusiastic gators. I want to give you a chance to be a hero, too. That's why I'm happy to announce that on March 11th, I'll be taking a small number of students for my class, Gate Tech 101. Tickets are on sale now at thecompanion.app slash events. You won't want to miss this because it's not just a Stargate master class. It's a Stargate chief master sergeant class. See you there. But for now, Chevron 7 is locked.